Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett here with Beth DeMarit, Heartbeat International's Director of Affiliate Services, and Sarah Dominguez, our Affiliate Services Specialist. And they'll be talking about building a dynamic board of directors, which is also what Beth will be teaching on at our upcoming conference in Louisville, Kentucky at the end of April during her pre-conference in-depth day training on this topic. There's a variety of other topics for in-depth day as well. If you're interested in joining in, uh, registration for the full conference is a little bit tight. You can still get on a wait list, but you can still register for that in-depth day. We do have room in there. Um, and of course, always check back at heartbeatservices.org for updates. And of course, there's always room in our virtual conference. So that's happening the same week, a whole set of workshops of its own and online events to take advantage of. So head over to heartbeatservices.org to find out a little bit more about that. Beth and Sarah, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Christine. It's great to be here. So happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to get to join this team in discussing this topic. So excited for our discussion today. Yeah, we're going to jump right in. Um, Our in-depth day at conference on dynamic boards, I actually have the privilege to lead. Sarah's going to be doing an in-depth day at conference on our love approach training. But I've asked her to join me today for this podcast because Sarah has a tremendous amount of experience in working with boards. Uh, as she has really been our point person at Heartbeat with our startup organizations. And one of the foundational pieces uh, with a startup organization is to get that board established and trained early on. So Sarah has traveled the country uh, working with boards, uh, helping executive directors and founding members of startups to know how to establish a firm and healthy board and then training the board on site. So I'm really grateful, Sarah, for you to be here with me today and to talk through um, really how do we build a dynamic board. And as I was contemplating in-depth day, I found that word very intentionally uh, and wanted to use that word in the title, because let me share with you the definition of dynamic. Dynamic is characterized by, ready for this, constant change, activity, or progress. Does that sound like a board function to you? That sounds very familiar. Yeah, exactly. And if you use dynamic, that's as an adjective. If you look at the definition as a noun, using dynamic as a noun, That definition is a force that stimulates change or progress within a Mm. system. And again, I think that just defines uh, board and board governance within a pregnancy help organization. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think it's so interesting to hear that. uh, That noun definition stimulating that change, that progress and I know I've been a member of teams and I've worked with many teams where that word change can be a little bit intimidating, but it is in the very nature of what we do um, when we are serving on a board of directors and we are stewarding the organizations that we are gifted with as a board. And so it, to me, this leads right into this conversation about what makes a a quality board member? What are we looking for when we're looking to build these boards? And first and foremost, we're looking for passion. We want to find people who only buy into the mission, but but really key in in a way that is intentional. Um, They are motivated. They are uh, dedicated to that mission. And in a sense, you know, at times, 
board trainings, we we can call a mission or kind of compare a mission to destination. It's a place that we're aiming to go as an organization. And so if we all have different aims, if we're all understanding the mission differently, it can get very interesting very quickly. But to hear that definition of it be of dynamic being characterized by change and by progress, um, that change or that progress should ultimately be aiming towards that mission. What is the end goal or the aim of your organization? So we need to find people that are motivated and determined to come with us on that journey of forwarding that mission of the organization. Um, we also want to find people who are committed to the organization. Now, this is a big one because I think we can think of many people who might fit the bill on paper, who would be a great board member. They're really passionate about the pro-life movement or about pregnancy help, but we need to find people who are not only passionate about those movements, but are also committed to taking the time and giving of their energy to see those movements furthered. Um, because I know many people who are passionate about those things, but to be a board member on a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to pregnancy help does require a good amount of energy. Um, it does require time. Um, and so helping those individuals that are considering a role on a board of directors to understand what that would entail as far as time and energy goes. We, of course, are also looking for people who understand their role as steward of the organization. Um, we play a very important role as a board of directors in really stewarding an organization forward. And so we talk a lot about this during our on-site board consultations through Heartbeat International about how we can think of the board in a sense as the owner of a nonprofit, almost as if the owner of a for-profit is interested in the end game. But the interesting thing for a nonprofit is that our, our end aim or our end goal is our mission. It's not necessarily, not necessarily going to be the profit. Our profit is our mission being fulfilled. Um, so we need people who understand their role as steward of an organization that first and foremost belongs to the one who seated that organization. And who is that? That is God. That is the one who's called this organization into being. He's formed it. He's planted seeds in the founders. And he's planted seeds not only in the founders, but in any board member who has come after those founders. So this is true 20 years, 30 years in Heartbeats history, 50 years of an organization's development. So we need people who understand their role as stewarding that organization. I actually do talk about this a lot with startup organizations, how oftentimes finding people who understand their role as steward at a startup level is a no brainer. Everyone understands at the very early stages of development, their role as steward. But what we get to do is create systems and culture and language that pours into those that come after us, whether that's five years down the line or 10 years down the line or 50 years down the line, we're creating a culture that helps those that come after us to steward on that organization even further than where we brought it, um, which is a beautiful thing. And of course, we also are looking for people who are willing to work as a member of that primary leadership team. It's not just a ceremonial role. This is an important, um, a, an important role that really does help to further that organization. So having them keyed into that mission and making decisions with the board of directors as a whole very intentionally is so important. So what are your thoughts on that, Beth? I know I've used that word mission a lot. So I'm curious to hear what are some of the thoughts you have about that? Excellent point, Sarah, about what is really the importance of board leadership or the foundation of leadership and those characteristics with board members being um, having a high value in those areas. When it comes to mission, uh, that is, you know, a primary responsibility of a governing board 
And you mentioned, you know, at the beginning, we established that mission, we understand it, it's focused uh, in our governance, but generations of leadership later, like you referenced, 20 years later, 30 years later, um, where does mission play a part? And the board absolutely uh, is the keeper or the garter of the mission within the organization. And that should be one of their primary responsibilities. So when it comes to, again, our dynamic definition about change, I get the question, and I'm sure you do too, over and over again, does mission change, right? And I think answering that question can be done in a couple of different ways. First of all, we have to understand what mission is. You did um, reference the idea that mission is like destination. If you think of going on vacation in a in a driving um, trip, right? You're going to take a road trip to go on vacation. It's the idea of you set your destination, you know where you're going, and you go from point A to point B as quickly as possible, especially if you have your children in the car, right? Um, but if you don't do that, if you don't set that destination, you can drive all day, start at 7 a.m. in the morning, end up 7 p.m. in the evening, and guess where you are? Back in your own driveway, right? Because you haven't set your destination. You didn't know where you were going. And so mission really does that for an organization. And the board is the keeper or the garter of that mission to make sure we're always heading toward that mutually agreed upon, God-given mission of that organization. So it's not just a purpose statement. It is really the idea of a mission, or you can think about it um, visually like a dartboard. Uh, this mission is the, the target, the bullseye of that dartboard. And we're all trying to throw that dart right to that mission. And everything that we do should be measured against, are we getting there to our destination or are we hitting that bullseye? So the idea of having measurables to do that is really important because how will we know if we are getting there uh, if we're not measuring? So a mission should be measurable. It should also be memorable. It's really important that we have consistency, particularly as we have our mission in writing or we're uh, verbalizing it because the more consistent we are, the more ability we have to draw people into our mission uh, for those who are in a governing position to keep guarding that mission. So the mission statement is vitally important. It does not really change. Um, the delivery systems of how we accomplish the mission absolutely do need to change. They need to be relevant. Um, and so the delivery system can change, but the mission stays consistent. When God calls someone or puts it on their heart to start a pregnancy center or to do anything that is his work, I would say he's pretty serious about that, and he wants to see that mission accomplished, and we see example after example of that in Scripture. So until that mission is accomplished fully and completely, the mission doesn't really change. But again, the delivery systems uh, will change in order to keep that organization relevant and cutting edge. So if that's the case, Sarah, I think you know the, the next question is, when do we really, or for what reason, do we look to reevaluate uh, our mission? You want to talk about that for a minute? Absolutely. And you've opened up that discussion really well because 
just because our missions do remain consistent to what the original call is that God has placed upon the organization, that does not mean that we set a mission and leave it. And you just expressed a number of reasons why we keep going back to the mission over and over and over again. I feel like I'm a broken record when I do these board trainings because it always comes back to mission. In every section, in every um, responsibility, it always comes back to does this advance or does this further your mission? And it's for good reason. So let's talk about a couple of reasons why we might evaluate or reevaluate our mission of the organization. And the first one that comes to mind is if you are a founding organization or a founding board of directors, and you've perhaps never had a written mission statement, or perhaps you've jotted some ideas down, but it hasn't been formalized or hasn't really been discerned and decided by that board of directors at the founding level, great time to reevaluate and really determine what is it that God is calling you to do? What is your aim, your destination? What will be the mission of your organization? Perhaps you've had the same mission statement for several years, for a decade, for two decades, and you want to be sure that it really describes your organization's aim. Perhaps you're sitting at a board table and you all understand where you're going, but does your mission really fully reflect that well um, and in an intentional way so that those who come after you will really be able to continue forwarding that mission um, that you have been called to? Uh, another would be if you have several new board members who have been, never been involved in discussing or evaluating the wording of that mission statement, if you've seen some significant turnover, um, or even I would say even two new board members would be enough of a reason to go and reevaluate that mission. Again, it's not necessarily to open up this can of worms and change all of these things about your mission. Beth just discussed that that's not really what we're interested in doing, but rather to really key into what is it that the mission is calling us to do and getting everyone one on board um, to help to further advance that mission. Another great time to reevaluate your organization's mission could be if you're considering a major, a major change in programs or services. So perhaps you're seeing that there is a major gap in services in your community, and you're really trying to determine if filling that gap is really your responsibility as an organization. Is this advancing our mission? Or perhaps is this a, a program that we could be referring outside of our organization so that our clients um, would be able to be served well? So answering that question always needs to go back to our mission. And I do want to pause here for a minute because I know when we are in the helping field, my background is social work. It can be very easy to want to be all things to all people. I want to, I want to be able to make sure that our clients have every possible resource possible. And if that isn't available outside of our organization, then that must mean that we need to do it. And maybe that is true, but not always. And I would actually say probably not frequently. So really taking time as a board of directors to discern, does this particular program or opportunity advance our mission as we understand it? And then another reason would be if we're, if we're over undergoing major turnover or change, or perhaps there's a general reorganization that's happening in your organization, another opportunity, a really important um, reason to reevaluate your mission and make sure that as we are restructuring or we are reorganizing, that we're not losing sight of what it is that we're called to do. And perhaps your organization is operating on automatic pilot. And I, I know that this may not be the case for a lot of our organizations in this day and age. There has been so much change that automatic pilot may have been 
equipment turned off and we're all flying our planes very intentionally these days. But I know that historically our organizations have experienced that automatic pilot and we will again. And so that's a great opportunity to be sure that our passion is still behind the mission, that we're not losing sight of what it is that we are called to do and where we are aiming to go. So how is the board involved in this, Beth? Tell us more about how the board can be a part of that process. Yeah, I think so many of the things that you mentioned, Sarah, are just um, key to keeping uh, and guarding that mission. And the way that the board is involved is, number one, they absolutely understand the mission. They're in agreement on the mission. I don't want to give away secrets, but I know as we come on site to do board training, we do this little exercise where we ask everybody to write down the mission of the organization. And that proves really interesting sometimes because board member A thinks that our destination is Florida and board number B thinks that our destination is North Dakota. And that's problematic. So um, knowing the, the mission and agreeing on the mission, we're all moving in the same direction. Generally, overall, Sarah, the board sets the tone with mission for the entire organization, and it trickles down from there. And they're also the keeper by, again, doing the evaluating, doing the measurables. Um, Boardmanship isn't just following a set of rules. I think sometimes board members think, oh, I'm invited onto the board to make sure we're following the rules. It's not really, I mean, that's a part, of course, of governance, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but it's really vision and mission mission direction and discernment uh, that they are tasked with to set the tone for the organization. And, you know, the organization goes through its own stages of development when the mission remains the same, and that's an interesting dynamic as well. There's that dynamic word again. How does the board, Sarah, as they go through organizational development and different stages and changes and the operations grow and staff is added, how does the board stay in a healthy place uh, to do that? What does healthy board governance look like there? Yeah, let's take some time to talk about this because this is important. I think that we oftentimes can ask like where what is something that we can aim for as far as health within our organization? And the good news is that there are a lot of different ways that an organization can function in a healthy way, which I think is really important because at Heartbeat, we recognize that there are so many different communities and needs and really um, designs that our affiliates are operating with. And we, we honor that. And so I think that there's so much room for our organizations to operate healthfully in a number of different ways. So let's take some time to break that open. Um, the first really example of, an he- of a healthy organization is what we call a founding or a working board of directors. So whether it's an organization that's been recently founded, it's brand new, no hired staff yet, perhaps that's down the road, or it doesn't have to just be a brand new organization. It could be what we call a working organization or a working board. This is one that's made the decision to remain all volunteer. And we do have affiliates within Heartbeat International that are all volunteer. And so it's important to make note that this can be a healthy organization as long as the board members remain 
um, it, like really understanding of what their role is at the board level. And then the staff and volunteers are also understanding of their responsibilities and also who is reporting to who within what role. So actually in our governing essentials manual, we kind of give you a visual for this with two puzzle pieces that work together. And on what one side of the puzzle piece is board operations and on the other is day-to-day -day operations. So you can imagine that for a founding organization or for a working board model where it's all volunteer, that you see that it kind of blends together. But in that blending, there needs to be a very clear understanding of who is responsible for what, when. And we do that through job descriptions, through organizational charts, through policies and procedures. And I'm not going to dive into that just yet. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I do think it's important to mention that in that first example of a healthy organization or a healthy board. Now, as our organizations are growing and developing, if an organization is intentionally moving towards paid staff members, um, we see that there is the process of transition into what we call a managing board. And this is when we begin to see roles growing and clarifying. The board chair is leading um, fellow board members to complete board tasks while the executive director is leading staff um, and perhaps even volunteer board members at the day-to-day -day operation level who are volunteering their time. But this is where it's really important to clarify roles and responsibilities. So I like to give this example of we wear many hats at a nonprofit organization. This is very common, right? We, I can think of many seasons in my life that I have had four or five different hats on my desk uh, figuratively, and I would take off one and put on the other in different roles. And in that hat, I would have certain job description responsibilities, a certain line of communication and reporting that was expected of me. Um, and this would be true in a managing board setting in a healthful way. So in that case where a board member may be the best equipped to complete a certain task at the day-to-day -day operation level, the board member would be humbly taking off her or his board member hat and replacing it with a center volunteer hat. And so when the, when the board member is uh, really serving at that day-to-day -day operations level and is wearing a center volunteer hat, that does not change up the organizational chart, but rather that board member in that instance as a volunteer in the center would be reporting directly to the executive director, who is that line of communication between the executive director and the board. Now, I think a lot of us are probably listening to this and thinking of all of the ways that this could go awry. And certainly without humility, without good lines of communication, without clarity of roles and responsibilities, those things can and do happen. But if we place those systems in a healthy way that really clarify who's reporting to who when, and we take on that humility um, when we really need to in reporting to our executive director or overseeing the organization at the board level, we can see that done well. Now, in that process of transition from working to managing or managing to governing, which is, which is what I'm going to get to next, we may experience some growing pains. That's what I like to call them. It is a process of transition. So we are kind of testing the waters and seeing what works well for our organization as far as policies and procedures, uh, roles and responsibilities, and again, keeping that line of communication open. So this is where we really need to key in and make sure that we do have those lines of communication open for challenges that may be arising, questions or concerns that may be happening for our executive director, for board. Uh, we need to make sure that that's happening well. So last, I do want to give a final example of a healthy organization. This is what we call a governing board. And this is really when the organization has hired enough staff to handle all jobs 
that are normally done by paid staff members at the day-to-day -day operation level. So in this example, board members are remaining on their side of the puzzle piece and day-to-day -day staff and volunteers are staying on their side of the puzzle piece. And these two puzzle pieces are working together in their particular roles and responsibilities. And that line of communication is really happening between the executive director and the board chair. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that relationship in a minute as well. But that is just such an important relationship to really open up at this point. So in this example, the executive director is competent and effective, has been given full responsibility for operations of the organization, and board members and staff are competent and knowledgeable about their responsibilities. They're doing their board jobs, and they have clear lines of authority and that key phrase, good communication. We can't um, underestimate the important, uh, importance of that. So having talked about healthy boards, Beth, will you kind of give us some examples of where things might go awry and we might experience some unhealthy circumstances within a board? Yeah. And, you know, going back to your last example of that organizational development and getting to the governing board, I think it's in a healthy place where everybody back to our reference to our road trip with mission, um, everybody knows their lane and stays in their lane, right? As we're tripping along here. And that separation is clearly defined and there's no crossover. Where it can get unhealthy is when that system, that lane um, differentiation gets a little bit murky. So whatever, no matter what, uh, stage of development that you're in, the goal is to stay healthy. Where it gets unhealthy is when certain dynamics come into play <laughs> uh, that we want to avoid. So for example, what happens sometimes is maybe the board members are not as trained, well-trained as they need to be. Maybe they're not really knowledgeable about their responsibilities. They don't know what lane they're supposed to be in. So they're not fulfilling the responsibilities that need to happen in that clearly defined separation. And the executive director in an attempt to accomplish the mission or just to make sure that things get done, or maybe because mistakenly he or she thinks that this is their responsibility, they're in the wrong lane too. Um, maybe it's because sometimes um, boards wanna want more authority than really what their lane affords. And so they take on some things. There's all sorts of um, things that contribute to this. But the, the bottom line is it can get unhealthy when that rule is not clearly defined and people aren't staying in their lane. It becomes what we call a ratifying board. And that is a very unhealthy board uh, that we want to avoid. It's also possible, um, and we hear this from organizations, these are real time, real life examples of, you know, the executive director maybe doesn't really clearly understand her role or her lane. And she's starting to take on some uh, responsibilities and authority that belongs to the board. And so it can happen exactly the opposite, where either the board's moving into the wrong lane or the executive director's moving into the wrong lane. There aren't, you know, lines down the middle of the lane so that everybody stays in the place they're supposed to be in. And this can become a very unhealthy situation. Um, 
We see this uh, when the organization is not following its bylaws, those core documents that really help us to define those lanes and stay in them. Um, board members sometimes are recruited uh, not in the best way. So it's the idea that they're really only there to contribute financially or enlist others in the community and they're not governing and that turns into an unhealthy situation. And really it can get to a point where the board becomes what we label a failing board. And this is where a board chair perhaps really takes on a dominant role encompassing everything. It's the idea of uh, overseeing the board and working within the board and then overseeing the day-to-day, -day, which is not their lane to be in. And so um, what happens is that board members um, may start taking over day-to-day -day operations. And again, it can happen on the flip side too. The ED can also move into this role and all of a sudden take on board responsibilities um, because board members aren't fully engaged or aren't in the right lane. So regardless of how it happens, the most important thing in staying healthy is that definition, the separation, understanding the roles and responsibilities, operating according to those core documents, and keeping um, being intentional to make sure that these things are happening. It's really about, again, Sarah, the understanding and the clarity of roles. How, how do we, what tips can we give to board members to help keep them in that clarity uh, lane, if you will? So my first question that I would be asking is, have you established job descriptions? Are these things that our team members, whether board members, paid staff, or volunteers are aware of, that they're operating from? Have we refreshed them if they need to be refreshed with new programs or new changes? Job descriptions. And and Heartbeat has samples. So if you're looking for samples, you'll find my email that did in the notes for this podcast. We can help you point to those samples in our manuals as well. Um, but we at Heartbeat encourage that every role within the organization, whether it's paid or volunteer, will have a job description. So that includes board members. There'll be certain lines that are specific to offices. Committees will also have a job description. Your uh, paid staff, whether that's executive director or a development um, coordinator or what have you, they will have their own specific job descriptions and volunteers will also have job descriptions. Again, offering that clarity of role and really professionalism within the nonprofit, which is what we aim for as well. Uh, we also want a healthy organizational chart, and these need updated all the time. I think of Heartbeat International and how many times we've had to update our organizational chart even in the last few years. And really what that is doing is creating a map for that line of communication, who is reporting to who and when, and what sort of content are we looking for in those reports. That's an important line of communication between those that are reporting. And then last, I'll also mention policies and procedures. This is one I discuss a lot with our startup organizations in particular, because while it is a hefty role to really see that our policies and procedures are established well, and I'll just kind of give a note here, that the board is responsible for overseeing and approving the policies within the organization. So the, how are we operating? Now, the procedure side of things 
which are really the maps for how we are fulfilling those policies, that can be delegated to the executive director, but the board does need to have a hand in the policy. So this is sometimes I can see this happen, um, especially within uh, brand new organizations where the board has so much going on at that working board level that it can be very tempting to just hand off the entire task of policies and procedures to the executive director and kind of wipe their hands of it and think we have them, we're good. But the reality is that while you might have knowledgeable staff that are contributing to that process of establishing policies, the board needs to, at the end of the day, review and adjust and ultimately approve the policy. And these are living documents. So these are not setting and leaving them documents. Once we have them, we're done. I have, I have had experiences working with organizations where, yeah, we know we have policies and procedures. I don't know where, but we have them. No, no, we need to have them and work directly from them. And so it does require that we do go back like we would our mission or our job descriptions and really ensure that these are um, reflecting the way that we want to operate within the organization. And we do have sample policies and procedures, both for a resource center and those general operations at a pregnancy center and medical policies and procedures available from our online store. Um, and there are digital copies that you can edit and adjust. So that can al always be a really helpful tool for organizations when they are reviewing or really establishing for the first time their policies and procedures. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I always encourage those organizations to start with the policies that reflect your operations today, and you can continue to grow and adjust those as you do grow and adjust and develop your organization. So job descriptions, organizational chart, policies and procedures are the bare minimum that will help us to understand and clarify our roles within the organization. So uh, Beth, what are your thoughts? What else can we do to help to clarify those roles and contribute to a healthy organization? Yeah, I think, Sarah, one of the really vital uh, ways that we can do that. And it's so reflective. You can go into an organization when you go on site and see pretty clearly from the beginning, uh, is this a healthy place? Is this a well-defined place or is it not? And if it's not, is this what's causing some of uh, the conflict or the confusion? And that is the board and executive director relationship. It is such an important part of a healthy organization. And you know, job descriptions, you mentioned job descriptions, of course, you know, day-to-day -day operations, you think about, of course, an executive director is going to have a job description, but the board having a job description may not be thought of. So those two things in itself, making sure that there's a clearly defined job description for both the board and the executive director helps them to establish and maintain a really good relationship. You know, the executive director is the one employee of the board. All of the rest of the staff and the day-to-day -day operations fall under the executive director's authority. You know, often I'll explain it like this when I'm working with the board on site. If you picture visually, I'm a very visual thinker, so this helps me, but if you picture the board and the executive director as globes, uh, globes that are on that little device that help them spin around, um, the, these globes represent their sphere of influence. The board has a sphere of influence and the executive director has a sphere of influence. The board's sphere of influence is the board. They govern themselves. The executive director's sphere of influence is the day-to-day -day operations and the rest of the staff. 
But picturing these globes spinning next to each other, the line in between is so fine that you really can't even see through there. But those globes never click. They never touch each other. They, again, if you will, stay in their lane. And if you picture the leadership of an organization with these two spheres of influence operating simultaneously, it really does help Number one, the organization stay in a healthy place, but number two, to establish and set up for success that board and that executive director in a good, healthy relationship. Um, it's always this question about, okay, but is that governance or is that management? And um, I think one of the things that can really help uh, to define that area is we have this little illustration again, that I, I often use on site called coaches, players, and playing fields. Um, you know, if you think about the game of football, there is the role of the coach, uh, there is the role of the player, and there is an established playing field that has to be respected. And it's the idea that if the game is not going well, the coach does not get to take off the headset, run out onto the field with some pads and start playing the game. It doesn't work that way. And just the same, if the game is not going well, or even if it is, the players don't have the option of coming off the field, taking off their pads, putting on the headset, go up, going up in that booth and coaching the game. That's not their role. And then the playing field has to be respected in that the coach is not allowed on the playing field. The players aren't allowed up in that press box, right? And so we respect that and we understand where are we supposed to be. So that governance versus management question can really be aided when we think about the two spheres of influence and the coaches, players, and playing fields. Now, being a Pittsburgh girl, I'm uh, revealing myself here, and a Steelers fan by far, some of you may remember uh, a couple of years back where there was a situation where Pittsburgh was losing the game and there was actually the other team threw a pass. It was caught and the receivers running down the field toward their goal line. And it just so happened at that particular moment that the head coach of the Steelers um, got a cramp in his foot and it caused him to step out onto uh, the playing field. When the receiver was coming in, he just happened to fall over and fall down. No, I'm really totally um, messing with you because that coach was not allowed on that player playing field. And whether it was a cramp in his foot or an intentional step out, he violated, right, the respected playing field. And after the game, there were fines and there were lots of controversy and lots of smack talk about that. But that's where things get unhealthy. And so again, keeping in mind that Number one, everybody understands their role, that that relationship is so vital, that we define it with a job description, that we understand that there's, you know, uh, these spheres of influence that don't ever knock together. And, you know, simple things can be put in place to make, to again, set us up for success and to make it so that we enforce this idea of this relationship, such as doing an annual review the board doing an annual review of the executive director and giving her feedback and helping her to understand um, where she's doing well and where there's opportunity. And doing that review according to her job description, again, something that's been defined so that she's being evaluated on what the 
said printed expectations are and not something outside of that. Um, the, the really important thing I think to stress here, Sarah, is that that relationship should be defined, it should be valued, and it should be continually worked on. I think the, one of the biggest things that we hear at the Heartbeat Office is both board members and executive directors call in for help or advice is that this is out of order or it's not working the way it's supposed to or there is no relationship. And so um, I think this is an area where boards will do well uh, to spend and make an investment of time here to keep that relationship healthy and, and high priority within the organization. That got into a little bit of detail on things like evaluations and job descriptions, which all lend itself to healthy board function. That's the next step in this, right? If we have the big concepts down, then what about the nitty gritty of the day to day? So what, Sarah, what makes for healthy board function as we get into the real life of board governance? Yeah, and I think that this fits really well with what you were sharing. I love that image you gave of the two globes and the spheres of authority because on the board side, the sphere of authority that we're really interested in are, again, the mission of the organization, the destination, where we're going. And some of this is really recorded in an intentional way in our core documents. So sometimes I'll ask the board of directors, even a brand new organization, have you all reviewed the bylaws since you've opened your doors? And oftentimes I'll get the answer, what bylaws? I haven't seen the bylaws. Who has the bylaws? And and again, these are you know core structural documents that really do define a lot of the questions that I get asked during an onsite board consultation. So you know, being asked things about certain um, even policies within the board, I'll, I'll kind of throw that question back to what do your bylaws say? Because that's how we need to be operating. Now, it is important to note that your bylaws can be amended. These can be adjusted to reflect the growth within your organization. So for example, if you didn't have certain uh, specific pieces that you do need to outline in your bylaws, you can do that. Or if they're written in a way that kind of structures you that you want to adjust even timelines or things like that, you certainly can make those adjustments um, to your bylaws. But again, having those bylaws and practicing from those bylaws is very important. That is a, a piece of that sphere of authority of the board of directors. And so actually one of the pieces that we recommend that you include when you're onboarding new board members are copies of those core documents of the mission so that they're in the job description. So there's no question about how we're functioning. And those are our key tools that are building culture within your organization. And, and another piece here are, are having really effective and successful meetings at the board level. So first and foremost, we want our meetings to be regular. We've seen it work really well when boards are meeting monthly. Um, so we don't lose track of what's happening on that day-to-day -day level through the reports of the executive director. Um, for organizations that are operating with committees that are very effective and longstanding, it might work to meet bi-monthly, so every other month giving your committees an opportunity to meet the months that you're not meeting at the board level to gather information, do research, make proposals. But again, committees are not their own little boards. They are reporting to the board of directors and where decisions need to be made at the board level, we are doing that during those board meetings. Um, and so with that, we want advanced notice. We want preparation. That's including reports that are prepared by the board chair and the executive director to be sent ahead of time, especially when there's a vote that 
may need to be made or discussion that may need to be had. Um, some reports will give information. Some will give a recommendation or a proposal. And if the report contains a, re a recommendation to be voted on by the board, the proposal should be fully researched and well discussed so that the board has the background it needs to make an informed decision. Uh, and this is a really important piece of not just sitting down with the notes at the moment that the board meeting is starting and now kind of sifting through the notes. And I know this is challenging because our board members are volunteers too. They have their own responsibilities at home and at work. But when we're taking on this role, this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about commitment. And this is a part of the commitment of being prepared for meetings, being prepared for votes, and really coming in with thoughts to share during discussions and discernment when it pertains to decisions that are being made at the board level. Um, and so there really are a couple questions that we can be asking ourselves and in really the whole team as a board during these meetings. So Beth, can you talk to us about what some of those questions could be? Yeah, I think it goes back to, again, um, the measurables that we talked about with mission. It's a constant evaluation of how are we doing? Again, if we are the change agent within the organization, uh, we should be paying attention to how that change is affecting the organization. So asking the question all the time, how are we doing? Or what does this information tell us about whether or not we're getting to our destination, achieving our mission, and really fulfilling our role to govern uh, the organization? Um, those are really important key factors. And then once we get the answer, the subsequent question is, what should we do about that? And, you know, I think, Sarah, sometimes board members, if, if they're not operating the way we just talked about and all the things that we reviewed and some unhealthy things have come in or their role is not clearly defined, being a board member can be intense. It can be a big investment of time where you start to feel like, I'm not sure I want to go to the next board meeting. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to uh, continue to have the same conversations over and over again without any end result, right? These are the kind of things that we hear about from boards. And so I think adhering to what we talked about here is the solution for that. But I, I want to, before we wrap up here in a minute, um, also hit the idea and not leave out the idea that though there is definite, you know, day-to-day -day functions, we got into some of the nitty-gritty in the big picture, being a board member is such an incredible calling and an opportunity to influence culture and change people's lives. And I think the board sometimes loses sight of that because they do have to govern, they do have to deal with so much business, the legal responsibility, the fiscal responsibility. But two things I think I really would like to remind board members of as we um, as we head out. Number one, you, the board also has the spiritual responsibility of the organization. And when you think about the idea that a pregnancy help organization and its mission is to change the world one life at a time as women are facing 
important decisions and to bring about uh, physical life and spiritual life, that's a huge calling, but it's also a huge blessing. And so as a board member, just making sure that we give proper time and proper emphasis to our role as a spiritual leader within the organization as well. And realizing that God could have searched the whole world over to find people to govern these organizations, but he chose you. And it's a privilege to be chosen in that way and served in that way, uh, especially when we have the incredible experience of a young woman really seeing things differently and making a different decision, coming back into a center or a maternity home eight or nine months later, baby in arms, tears streaming down her face saying thank you, because without you, this baby would not be here. And that goes all the way up to the board. Again, the board sets that tone. The board makes that a reality. I think that the second thing um, that I just want to leave board members with is uh, the idea that, and this is kind of my soapbox, so get ready. Um, you know, we are so good within our pregnancy help organizations of understanding, communicating, uh, and valuing the sanctity of human life ethic, particularly when it comes to young women and their unborn children, right? We understand we're all created in the image of God that gives us innate value. Um, we protect that. We value that highly. Board members just need to remember and practice the idea that the sanctity of human life also applies to adult people who are sitting across the board table uh, from them, right? That in itself goes a long way to number one, keeping the organization healthy, but number two, really satisfying the calling of being a board member by realizing when we esteem others, when we value others and work together, that is us operating within the body of Christ. And the Pregnancy Help Organization is an incredible opportunity to put that into play. So we're grateful for our board members. Uh, we absolutely have lots and lots of support and resources for them. We understand it's a tough job and uh, it's time investment. And um, we just really honor you as board members for what you do. So with that, Sarah, thank you so much for all of the wisdom all of the experience that you shared here today. And we will turn it back over to Christine to maybe go over some of those resources that we have. All right. Thanks so much, Beth and Sarah. Appreciate your expertise on this topic. Uh, if you're interested in, in the on-site training that was mentioned during this episode, uh, we do have consultants from Heartbeat who are available to come to your center and they will do a full day of training with you and your board members. If you would like more information on that, visit heartbeatservices.org. Click on the training tab up at the top. There's an option that says on-site consultation. You'll see what we offer. In addition to the board training, we do the Love Approach volunteer training and uh, strategic planning. So all the pricing and additional information is listed there. Again, heartbeatservices.org. Under the training tab, click on-site consultations. So with that, we wish you all a great rest of your day. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.